0: This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures! Uh, half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy! <laughs> <sighs> Kia ora and welcome to episode ninety nine of the Half Measures podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host Paul Canawa. You will be pleased to know that we are back to our regular scheduled programming. Paul, how are you doing, pal?
1: Sure, Dan. I'm good. I am. Um, I'm just as I was excited to do the top ten. I am excited to come back to the regular. I do. It's kind of weird. I, I can't. I want to have my cake and eat it. I miss doing the regular, so I'm really excited to be back. To be honest. I know, right? Because you kind of end up getting a bit
0: of a, a build up of shows that you've been watching. Obviously, you know it's exciting doing the top ten, but there's, there's you know there's new content to talk about, and you know people get used to the you know the dulcet tones of you and I just talking about our favourite TV shows. So
1: psychologically, I feel like I've I've not been doing my homework for the last sort of couple of weeks, and I feel like I, I'm today I'm doing it, and I'll be, I'll be caught up. Is how I feel psychologically, so it's good. Well, Paul,
0: just like tradition dictates, what have you been watching?
1: Well, Dan, I'm back to my Bond rewatch. It's 1983's Octopussy, so I'm straight back into where we left off: uh, a fake Faberge egg and fellow agents' death lead Bond to uncover an international dual smuggling operation headed by the mysterious Octopussy. Now, I hate to start the year off negatively, Dan, but because that's not what I'm about i'm gonna this is the worst bond film of them all i really i really feel that i feel like um up until now i think i've said thunderball i just did not get much out of this movie this is the first time that i've seen roger moore as bond and i just i thought i reckon you're done mate and and some of the reasons aren't even necessarily his fault like he's 56 at the time that this is filmed um and that's something that i might touch on with the the next thing i'm going to talk about today but um it's just the plot isn't overly interesting the support cast isn't overly impressive the bad guy the villain isn't memorable um there's just not too much in this that i could honestly say unless i'm doing a rewatch i don't think i'd ever go back to this movie do you remember much about this one
0: I honestly, I couldn't tell you anything about it apart from it's such a classic James Bond title that's been you yeah. know made, made fun of over the years. Um, and so how many more Roger Moore um, appearances do we have?
1: One more after this. So, yeah, so next week I'll talk about um, A View to a Kill, which is the, the one from 85. And so this is his penultimate. And, um, yeah, we're coming into Timothy Dalton, who, of course, only got two. And I'm already thinking, ah, oh, maybe... Maybe this is this is where it should have ended for Roger. So um yeah, it's interesting because the 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 book was um the Ian Fleming book was um Octopussy and the Living Daylights. And they obviously split that out when they made the movies and made it into two separate movies. And I don't know if the splitting of that, because I haven't read the novel, but I just know the title, if the splitting of that somehow just diminished the story to the point where it was just a little bit I don't know, it was just a little it was just he just didn't care and um so yeah so i i do hate to come in on a negative note but um other than a classic uh poster and um a pretty sort of um stick in your head uh song title, um all-time high that's um pretty good as well but yeah i i can't give you any more Dan.
0: it's a shame it's a shame it's a it's a shame to start this with a a bit of a a down
1: buzz review what else have you got for me paul well the strangest thing then because the and keeping it on brand with bond the other movie i've watched was never say never again and so this also came out in 1983 and this is the final return of sean connery to the to the role of james bond in what is um the unofficial uh Bond movie, and it's, it's unofficial because it's not done by Eon Productions who've done, you know, all the movies. So you haven't got those, you know, those uh, those signature things like, um you know, the gun barrel opening where he walks across. You haven't got the the opening title. Um, and probably most notably, you haven't got the classic James Bond theme. And it's amazing um, sort of taking those things away, how right from the start, it doesn't feel like a Bond movie. But then of course Connery turns up on screen and, and he's back as Bond and, and you sort of you you sort of forget about the start. So it's a really weird experience. Um and it's what's interesting for me is because if you if if you'd asked me what I thought of this movie prior to me doing this rewatch, from memory, I would probably say that this was, I don't know, a bit of a cheesy uh average movie that's probably aged badly it has got uh, you know um probably shouldn't have been made is what i probably would have said but watching it now at the exact same time as octopussy you know that same year yes it is a bit cheesy but relative to the other 80s bonds from a visual perspective it hasn't actually aged that badly at all and it's just really quite fun having Connery back when you think he's gone. You know, if you if you sort of think, you know, his last one was 1971's Diamonds of Forever, it was kind of a an interesting thing for him to do. So I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than Octopussy, and I enjoyed it more than I expected to, based on what my memory was of it last time I watched it.
0: I also see it's got um, Kim Bessinger in this as well, which, you know... Um... She's always going to be Vicky Vale to me, and I'm, I'm I'm surprised I'm I'm generally surprised that like she must be what 67, 60, 68 or something.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because the the age difference between the two of them feels quite um uh quite 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 significant. It's what one of the the criticisms for me would be that he's sort of um yeah he's the the film. Isn't necessarily fitting of a Bond of Connery's age. Um, it's it's probably made for a Bond twenty years younger. Which, of course, just to just to really clarify things, this is this is a, a remake of Thunderball. Um, so they took that story, and that's how this movie got made. So Kevin McClory, who was the writer of that and um, producer of thunderball he he somehow had a deal where he got the rights to certain things which also included spectre and that's why we had no blowfeld all the way through to spectre um but long story short they basically remade thunderball and if you, if you go back a few podcasts and listen to my review of thunderball you'll notice that um i mentioned that you know never say never again is famous for being a remake because it's that same ian fleming novel but um, yeah, so that story, the biggest disappointment for me is that they've brought him back. They've brought Connery back. And story-wise, they really needed to bring uh, like a, a custom story to the table that was more fitting of his age, where, you know, he's not running around with girls half his age. It's not so action heavy. And I think something a bit more spy, a bit more espionage, a bit more Russia from Russia with love, that sort of thing. But um, on the positive side, it's directed by... Um, Irvin Kershner, who, in terms of his career as a director, he's in his prime at this point because he's his last movie he's just directed three years before is *Empire Strikes Back*, um, and so from a direction point of view, the movie is is very solid. It really sticks together. Connery's older, but he's still got all the charm and, and all the rest of it. And um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting rewatch, particularly in the middle of a rewatch of the whole series. It's
0: fascinating, isn't it, that they would even sort of think about muddying the timeline back then with such a a, a powerful franchise like James Bond.
1: Yeah, and I think I, I you know, the um, broccoli and Eon Productions, and that they didn't want this to go ahead at all. And but from a legal point of view, they'd lost the rights to certain things, and there was nothing they could do to to, to stop it. And from happening there's there's also a really memorable over-the-top bond girl um fatima blush she's she's hilarious in this the music is i mean not only is there no bond theme the music is horrific and this is probably one thing that does age this this movie more than anything else but um Mm. a lot of fun and yeah it was uh i think the intention was for him to come back for a few movies but he decided not to go ahead and do any more and so they they, they hit the hit head on the head there at that point probably just as I well. I think
0: that's the thing, right? Like even though like we've all loved Daniel Craig, right? Like it wouldn't feel right to see him just appear in another movie like all no. of a sudden. Like it's it's much better to kind of book in that experience and hand the hand the reins over to somebody else.
1: Yeah, no, exactly right. So um, so yeah, so so never say never again, and uh, then the last thing before we talk about the other things we've watched together, I watched the. The Harry Potter 20th anniversary return to Hogwarts, um, which came out on HBO Max just after I think New Year's Day, um, and this is the perfect feel-good watch for for the new year. So this is this has I, I was going to say most, but that's a big call because there's so many in the in the cast, but a lot of the cast reunite um, for a retrospective to to look back all the way. To the to, to the first film for which the anniversary is is marked, um, right the way through, and I would say for anyone who enjoyed like um, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air reunion or the Friends reunion, you are going to absolutely love this. Uh, I mean, if you're you know, if you're a Harry Potter fan, and for me this felt even more special somehow because there is this real life journey for so for the three main cast i guess is what i mean emma watson daniel Radcliffe, rupert grint they you know this you get all these behind the scenes things from when they started at age 10 and 11 which is incredible and and have them reminisce through um as adults because they've lived their whole teenage lives growing up acting in these movies and so there is the most um tangible incredible natural bond that I've ever seen between actors uh, that they obviously got over eight movies it's such a you know such a important age it's 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 really wonderful watch
0: mm, awesome i haven't checked this out yet but i I surprised myself watching both the Friends reunion and the Fresh Prince of Belia reunion, how much I enjoyed it. And I, I imagine it would be the same for this. I do have to admit, when I first heard about this one, I was like, has it been long enough? But I think I think it has, right? Like, it's been 20 years. So, And, you know, though these guys are still young, it's probably more speaking to our age than anything else.
1: Yeah, oh, but it's funny you say that, Dan, because I think it's Daniel Radcliffe. One of them says, um, when, that, when it was suggested to him, they were like, have we earned it? Has it been that, you know, has it really been long enough? You know, it's 20, but 20 years is, and it's, yeah, I if you do watch it down, I feel like it's impossible not to well up. It's one of those ones. It's, it's more, it's almost more sad than the end of when you've watched all eight films, just seeing them back together. Cause it's, uh, it's, you know, you've got Gary Oldman, Rafe Rafe Fiennes, Robbie Coltrane, uh, Helena Carter, Jason Isaacs, um, just so many of them come through and yeah. Um, I, it it really stuck with me for a few days since watching it, uh, and in, in a good way. And it it actually then makes you want to go and watch the movies. But you know, eight movies is a big ask. So, um, yeah, that was it was good.
0: That's good. It's good to hear the the magic of Harry Potter is still alive.
1: Yeah, beautifully put together. Beautifully put together. Nice. That's it for me, Dan
0: awesome well um i've been watching a a couple of things and the the first thing i wanted to talk about actually you'll probably recall if you're um been listening to the pod for a while that i've been doing the the marvel rewatch of all of the movies basically in preparation to get ready for spider-man no way home which is the the third spider-man movie so I managed to get myself all up to date so that I could go to the movies to watch this one. Now, I wondered, Paul, I probably should have asked you this off here, are you okay with me talking about spoilers in this?
1: Yeah, no, 100%. I'm actually fascinated to hear as much as possible, to be honest.
0: All right, so this is your warning as well for anyone listening. If you want to still sort of... Um, have some surprises. You might want to use the time codes below and maybe jump ahead a little bit because I am going to be talking about what happens in this movie. So Spider-Man No Way Home is our is our third Spider-Man movie. And can I say out the gate, Paul, there is something happens in this movie in the first 20 minutes that literally had me just about screaming in the theater like a little kid.
1: <laughs> Are you going to share that?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, oh, So – Obviously, Spider Man based in uh, in in New York, and he gets himself in a bit of trouble. He needs a lawyer. Who do we get? Paul. We get Matt Murdock. Oh, wow. We get we get Daredevil. We get like it's we get it's so good. Like as soon as I see him, I'm just like, oh my god! It was it was so exciting, and it's it's Charlie Cox from the Netflix TV series. Fantastic, and. You know, it was just a. You know, it was like the scene would have been less than a, a minute, right? But it was just so good. You know, we've been raving and raving about um, how much we'd love to see um, Charlie Fox's Daredevil come over um, into the Marvel MCU, and he he finally it finally happened, and it was so good. There was no reference to him being Daredevil. He was literally just providing some yep. some legal aid to um, the Spider Man or Peter Parker. That's brilliant. And it was just a a genuine feel-good moment and I knew there'd been some speculations but I avoided lots of trailers and I managed to avoid all the things that was a genuine surprise and delight for me so so that was very fun um the movie I thought was you know so this movie's pretty hyped and I even though I've managed to avoid a lot of detail about it I wasn't able to avoid the amount of hype that was people like genuinely excited for this film I enjoyed it I'm, I'm a really big fan of Peter Parker they um, they bring in the uh, the other Peter Parkers from the other Spider Man movies. Mm. So you've got Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, uh, and Tom Holland, and they all ultimately end up working together. You've got Doctor Strange in this movie. There's a, all these multiverses kind of coming together, which means all the sort of these different bad guys are coming in, like um, Doctor Octo Octavius. You've got um, William Dafoe as Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin. Like it's it's so it's such a, a huge coming together of pop culture from the last 20 years and they just sort of do this quite incredible job of sort of stitching all of the story together and they do something pretty crazy at the the end of this film and this is probably the biggest bit if you if you're still listening and you want to avoid this this is probably the the, the critical base um, is at the end of this, they need to get all of these people back into their, their right universes um, and because it's sort of impacting timelines and, and co. And so the only way to do that, though, is there's a whole bunch of extra story to this, but basically everyone will forget who, who Peter Parker is. So no one knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man anymore. Brilliant. And so you might see some memes around the internet now being like, you know, who is this guy? You know, like, is he new to the MCU? It's because... Basically, Doctor Strange had to had to put a spell on everyone to to erase the memory, and so they've done this really fascinating thing. And I I wonder whether it's from I, I know this is happened in the in the comic book universe, but from a a, a Sony slash Marvel point of view, it, it does an interesting thing that there could just be no Spider Man in the MCU now, and that could be the way it was written out, or it could be a, a huge plot point for how he might reintroduce himself, or mm. how there might be a new
1: character so strange has the ability to make everyone forget is that what i'm everyone forgets it's the men in black effect okay um i do have a few questions firstly you talked about um dr otto octavia who was always my favorite villain back in the day you know back in the cartoons back in the comics and it's the same actor um alfred molino returning and of course he played that in 2004 um does does he still work in the role of the villain? You know, some what is that seventeen, whatever? My mouse is terrible. Yeah, years later.
0: Yeah, well, it's almost twenty years, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, eighteen years. Um, so yeah, look, I, I was wondering that going into this as well. I'm like, how are they going to sort of pull together these, you know, kind of old older crew of of villains to still sort of live up to the the current day? And I've got to tell you, Paul, it it all works pretty perfectly. Um, there's no um. There's no sort of like I personally didn't find any issues with the characters or um, or them being too old. It all kind of just sort of fitted together quite naturally. It's quite a it's quite a long movie though because there's
1: yeah
0: it's, and it's interesting in sort of a Spider Man sense, right? Because you've got you've got not only one Spider Man, you've got three Spider Man, you've got Doctor Strange, you've got a, a whole plethora of bad guys from William Defoe, Jamie Fox, Alfred Molina, like and like they've all got big roles in this movie as well. So there's lots of stuff mm-hmm. happening um and i think they did quite a good job at kind of stitching it together and i'm i'm glad i've done all of the sort of rewatching and it's it's definitely worth sort of being up to date definitely on the previous spider-man movies definitely on doctor strange just so that you've got the context of what's happening in this universe and it's it's really left me excited for more marvel and the sort of the next phase of this journey
1: you mentioned in the first summary you, you said oh, we've got the three peter parkers and i started wondering oh is that them being subtle and then you said afterwards of three Spidermen, so we do see them in their respective Spidey costumes.
0: Yeah, no. So we, so, we so basically, they all come together in, in various sort of different ways, and so some of them, like for example, Tobey Maguire, kind of starts off more in his Peter Parker, um, citizen, public citizen, sort of you know, everyday dress versus um, Andrew Garfield, who sort of our, our first introduction is to him is actually in his Spidey suit, and so. What's really cool about that as well is they're they're also paying tribute to the way that those suits were designed and the look and feel of those characters. Mm. And there's been there's been quite a bit of uh, I guess conversation around the the internet. And, you know, people most people love Toby Maguire. He was sort of the Spider-Man they a lot of, I guess, people in our sort of grew up with that. He's their favorite. There was a little bit of love for Andrew Garfield, but I think this has reignited the sort of amazing Spider-Man love. And I wouldn't be surprised to see actually another movie in, the, in that sort of amazing Spider-Man series by Andrew Garfield, So, which, which would be awesome to sort of come back to the character. Um, no, look, it's a it's a fun movie. It's a fun universe. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: I say the director, and I'm now worried that we've already talked about this, or if we did, maybe it was off air, or maybe it was someone else. I don't know. But anyway, the director, John Watts, he, he directed uh, – spider-man homecoming spider-man far from home and, and this one and obviously now he's he's lined up for um you know fantastic four and his his career is completely now off yeah he he's flying but just looking at what he'd done before some music videos fat boy slim um a documentary about robocop um i just am fascinated how how they get these people who seemingly, I mean this with respect, seemingly have a, a a very average, if I'm honest, looking resume, as it were, and they just throw them into the deep end, and they just do exceptionally well. It's it's amazing.
0: I think there's hope for us yet, Paul. There's hope for us. Directed an episode of The Walking Dead, and you know, been a, a ten out of ten IMDb episode. And you know, because we, we've got the credentials, we we know our stuff. We've been we've been reviewing, talking about stuff for ages. And you don't need an exhaustive IMDb list, I don't think, to be a superstar.
1: I'm not sure we could make an impression on you know, like The Mandalorian or, or Yellowstone, but I think we could come into The Walking Dead and knock out a pretty decent episode. That's for sure.
0: We probably need more than an episode. We probably need like a, a season. Yeah, a season or at least sort of a a three to four episode arc that we can kind of tell.
1: I'll settle for that. I'll settle for that. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So look, I think Spider Man No Way Home, great movie, really great sort of job and kind of wrapping up. Even though those three movies as their own little trilogy, obviously it's all connected into the MCU, but you can kind of watch them as a bundle as well. So, and the the most exciting thing for me was Charlie Cox. Um, the Matt Murdock Daredevil, so so good.
1: Was sorry? I was one last thing. Was there a, a reaction in the movie theater in the cinema with with Charlie Cox? Because uh, you mentioned how you were just like bursting. Was was it a lot of fans appreciating that, or did it feel like not so much?
0: Well, there was definitely a bit of a ah like in the group, but I wasn't in a big theater like oh, okay. so I. I imagine if this was, you know, in America or, or even a, a big city in New Zealand, like if you're in Auckland or something, there yeah. might have been a bit more like ah. But I think I probably brought the loudest um, energy energy to that
1: moment. You were in a bougie cinema, weren't you?
0: I was. Yeah, I was. But yeah, no, look, it's good, and it's it's actually it, even just seeing Charlie Cox, I was like, I probably should rewatch Daredevil. It's such a such a a great show, and I just love that character so
1: much. Awesome! Very exciting.
0: Uh, the next show that um, we have watched is The Witcher. So, um, so The Witcher originally came out in 2019 on Netflix, and we actually rewatched season one. And season two came out. I think it was on the the 17th of December. So, um, we did a we decided to do a rewatch and sort of remind ourselves what happened in this universe. And I'll tell you, Paul, I'm very glad I did because I'd literally forgotten just about everything from this TV show. And I think a YouTube um summary probably wouldn't have done it justice. So this is Henry Cavale's um The Witcher. Season one, already really enjoyed. I think they're doing some really great stuff with it. Season two, I think, builds up for me personally builds on that quite a bit. I haven't played the video game and I haven't read the books, and I know there's some people sort of mixed views on it. But I think as far as sort of um, fantasy, action, drama, it's it's got a lot going on. And I think when I, I remember watching the the first season and being unsure of um, Henry Cavill, especially recently seeing him as Superman, all of a sudden being this the, the medieval sort of the Witcher. But I, th- I think he's nailed it. He he does such a fantastic job. I think the casting's been really great they're actually quite like long, complex episodes. Like each episode in this eight eight episodes per season is about an hour long. Mm. And so they spend a lot of time sort of doing storytelling. A lot of the episodes are kind of like nudging towards a, a bigger plot point, but it's also kind of has a video game feel for me anyway, because it feels like they're often doing like side quests and other activities and kind of, um, recruiting other people into their group and to do that they've got to do various jobs for people so I had a lot of fun uh, going back to season one and I had a, a lot of fun watching season two of The Witcher and I, I hear that they're they're looking to do about a, a seven season run of the show and which I think is pretty cool if they've kind of got that on the cards right. and hopefully locked in because I think when you you know we've talked about this before when you've got seven seasons and you kind of know that's your runway you can really kind of start to sort of build a a start middle and end to your story and and i think you know even by the end of season two we're still very much in the start right like it's still building up to the sort of character that, that people know
1: and you've also got the the witcher blood origin um which is coming out this year which is uh like a i presume uh oh, it's a prequel, it says here. Yeah, prequel, six episode prequel. And then you've also got the animated the uh, Nightmare of the Wolf um miniseries as well. So there's a lot of witcher going on. Plus you've talked about seven seasons. That's that's a lot of witcher.
0: Well, that's right. And there's, you know, if you, if you're really keen, obviously there's a, a fantastic fantastic video game. There's there's three yes, video games. That. Um and there's obviously the the original books, um, which I, I hear are very good. So look this has been a really fun universe. I think it's a little bit slower paced than maybe some of your your you know like say take a game of thrones for example and I, I, it's probably unfair to compare those those two genres but this is a little bit more slow burn. you kind of earn the action a little bit more but it's it's often very good sort of storytelling and I think you know Henry Cavill's sort of known as a bit of a uh a, a die hard kind of um nerd or enthusiast around this stuff so he really wants to make sure that they're they're doing the right things by the character they there and they're sticking to the law of this universe which i think is good and, and it pays off so it's been a lot of fun to to watch the witcher
1: the photos of him uh, he looks great he looks absolutely you know with the black eyes and the long hair and the skin and all you know with all the vein he looks really and actually looking at the photos having not watched either of the shows I'm about to reference, but it gives me a vibe in terms of quality of of C um that you've been watching. Um and not just C but also Game of Thrones just that it's just got that quality, that you know, high end production value quality.
0: It does. And you can tell no expenses have been spent on this TV show. And there's a lot of sort of special effects and that probably speaks a little bit, you know, henry's probably a very busy guy plus we've had the pandemic in the middle of that so it's quite a big gap between the first season coming out in 2019 and then another season in um 2021 so i'm not too sure when we're getting season three but um it is one of those shows that i, I kind of feel like you might need to kind of at least make sure you kind of watch the refresher or or rewatch the last couple of episodes to sort of remind you of mm. the, the key plot that's happening in this wider universe
1: i actually saw a comment in our discord community just this week Dan, about someone talking about the witches or saying how it sort of jumps around time wise quite a lot so i imagine if you are coming into uh, into a, se- a season three a rewatch what like you've done is probably a really good idea
0: yeah and, and for anyone who kind of found i like, guess that that timeline jump around quite difficult in season one that's it's it's not like that in season two so um it makes it maybe a little bit easier to kind of get into but i think if you I think it'd be easy to kind of get confused and a bit lost in, in that first season. If you're not paying attention, like, you know, we've talked about these types of things before. It's probably not a TV show. You can be, you know, scrolling TikToks on your phone and watching at the same time. It's a, it's a dedicated experience.
1: You can't watch Bosch whilst playing animal crossing. Animal crossing you can't correct. watch the Witcher whilst scrolling through your TikTok.
0: That's correct. Okay. That's correct. So, yeah, so that's what we've been watching. Um, I wonder whether Paul, we should jump over to Yellowstone. So, um, normally we've been reviewing sort of episode by episode um, and I've long been talking about over this Christmas holiday that um, Samara, my partner, hasn't hasn't watched Yellowstone at all and we wanted to go on the journey right from the beginning. So um, we will get to those sort of final episodes. But before we do, we've watched over this entire Christmas break, we, we actually were sick for a couple of days and it kind of worked out quite perfectly um, because we we smashed out like whole seasons in a day. Um, and so we've gone right back to the beginning um, and then caught up to season four and then watched the last couple of episodes live. And I'll tell you, Paul, I'm a, I'm a raving fan about this TV show. And watching it again from the beginning, I was picking up new things. I'm still loving it just as much. I was excited for the big moments, even though I knew they were coming. But, you know, we talked about with season four. It was a little bit difficult because we watched it episode by episode. When you watch season four as a binge, no drama. This is, this is a, a show that is, deserves to be binged. Episode by episode, Kind of you kind of end up forgetting things or um, it, it's just it doesn't quite flow as nicely, but watching it as a package, this is top tier TV, Paul. Top tier.
1: It is top tier. And actually, I, I had two questions for you, and you've touched on the first, which is having done all four back-to-back and done that fourth season as one. If you were to line up all four seasons, given how strongly we rated, you know, season two and three in particular, I guess, what's what's your in terms of? Oh yeah, that's that's the season. That's where it's peaked. Or is it, is there a line you can draw there?
0: Uh, it's tough, right? Because I think what's interesting about this TV show, as you can kind of see in season one, it's a little bit more. You know, there's lots of drama and intense action that happens in the first season but it's still quite contained like the we don't like the cowboys are there but they're not a, a key feature it's more about the duttons and i think as the each each season goes on um you're getting more and more characters you can tell the characters are getting more and more confident like using the horses and you know like living and acting in those scenes and i think for me Season three is probably still my favorite season. Mm -hmm. Um, I think just because that ending for season three was just such a a dramatic thing to happen. And I think flowing straight into uh, the first sort of half an hour of um, episode one, season four, absolutely amazing. And I was saying to Samara, like, you are lucky because you haven't had to wait, like, you know, six or seven months for this to come out to find out what's happening. You're just like sort of rolling into these episodes and there's no wait for you. And I'll tell you, I would have sort of said if I hadn't done this rewatch that season four was a bit more bitsy. But season four actually flowed a, a bit more for me mm. until those last couple of episodes. And I feel like there was kind of the, obviously, and we'll, and we'll get into this shortly, um, a whole bunch of stuff happened with, you know, Beth and Rip and John and, uh, and Summer and the, the Casey. There's, there's so much to talk about with those guys. But it does, I just, I can't emphasize it enough. It just, it flows nicely as a package. And I would almost be inclined if I could avoid all of the spoilers in the content Mm. for season five to try to sort of build it up and do it in one hit because I think it it just watches so much better.
1: I love that. You must have the the theme song just, you know, the theme music just stuck in your head after four seasons of that back to back. My, the second question I was going to ask you, because we talked about this um, when we were talking about the first season and we always made reference to the fact that the first, they did like a, I forget if it was like a feature length episode or however they did the first episode or first few episodes. It was, and it, I remember we always talked about it, it, felt like it was really drawn out. And it, it just like, as, as a new watcher, you felt like, where is this going? As someone who's now watched all four seasons and loves it, going back and seeing that first, you know, whatever that first episode is that we were referencing, that must have felt a lot different. And I imagine you appreciated it a whole lot more. Was, was that the case? I think
0: I did. I, I did. And I, so I was also watching this with my, some of my family um, for season one and two. And I felt like I was having to say to them, look, just give it like, yeah. you've got to give it this episode. And I, I, Kind of, you know, you're kind of looking around the room when you, you know, when you're hyping up a TV show, yep. you're looking around the room yep. like, is everyone enjoying it as much as I am, and I loved it even more because I I knew what was coming and I knew the the character building that was happening, um, but I still think it's a a slow episode for people to kind of get started in the show, and it's not kind of until episode two where you kind of start to sort of build up the tension and then all the sort of craziness starts to happen. Um, I did. I, uh, and I think it might have originally been two episodes, but you know, because that episode's like an hour and 20 minutes or something, right, whatever so it is, it. and so in season one's actually only like, I think it's nine episodes or, or something, and so I actually think it it probably started off its life as two episodes, but they obviously made the decision to let sort of turn it into a a longer episode and, and try to sort of get people into this way of life. But I I do think it's probably Yellowstone's biggest issue is does that first episode hook you in straight away? Because I know a lot of people who are like, if you don't hook me in yeah. early, I'm not sticking around. Um but I've been dropping Yellowstone quotes everywhere I go. If you want to fight me Paul, <laughs> I'll fight your goddamn day. And like, you know, I'm I've been texting my family. Whenever they text me I'll be like, look, you gotta live up you gotta live up to the brand, pal. You know, like That's so it. It's it's so good, and it's I've got such a, a fondness for all of the characters, and I think it's the characters that aren't necessarily big players in in season one for example, like the cowboys, and like just watching them sort of come out of their shell and become almost kind of main characters in their in their own right has just been a, a fantastic experience.
1: I'd appreciate it if uh, at least the next week you could only reply to my messages with with gifts of of Rip and John and Jamie and so on.
0: Consider it done consider it done. Nice. So I oh, wonder, Paul, should we jump into the you know, the last time we talked about Yellowstone, we still had two episodes to go um, on of, of the season. Should we kind of talk about this sort of end of the season and um, you know, what you thought about it and maybe we thought it was hitting what you liked?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. So those those last two episodes, episodes nine and ten of season four, it's interesting that you you mentioned just then in your recap about how it, it those two those last two episodes felt a little different. I um I enjoyed both of them. I think it didn't necessarily match the hype of the end of season 3, but at the same time I don't think it needs to do that every season. I don't think otherwise you build that expectation of a huge of a huge thing. And yet we did get some some big some big moments, but it didn't have the quite the same I didn't come out of the last episode with the same sweat and tension that I remember from season 3, but I did really rate rate it as a as a finale i think my biggest thing i can say about this is i when i look back at these episodes now i've got more of a memory and a and a feel and a um a positive memory of the jimmy story um i really loved the whole jimmy journey through this season and that's my standout which is interesting given that this is a show about the duttons on the Dutton ranch
0: yeah, it's interesting, right? Because the whole way through these last two episodes, I was I, I kinda felt this this sickness in my stomach that like, is Beth gonna die? Is Jamie gonna die? Is like is is something bad gonna happen to one of these people? Yeah. And I was with you in the sense that there's no way they're gonna have a, a season three ending again. Like it's 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 too big. But I kind of felt like there was some destruction happening with particularly those two characters where I wasn't sure one of them was going to sort of come out the the way that we kind of expected. And I think they really kind of played us in the sense that, yeah, like that, that was going to happen. And then when it didn't, oh, I was almost kind of like I was relieved, but kind of shocked and kind of like, Oh God, where is this heading? And I think they did quite a good job. I think with, um with Beth this season in the sense that, you know, Beth is always winning. Like she's, a, she's, A favorite character, but she's a nightmare, right? And she's such a nightmare for so many people, and she's horrible to people. But it's also fun, and it's she's a great character to watch. And I think at the end of this season, and particularly those last two episodes, when when John says he's disappointed in her, yeah, like that kind of really breaks her. um, When she basically gets fired from her job, it was almost like kind of like finally people were kind of like outsmarting her and all of the stuff that she's been doing, like. She's kind of come to the end of that rope, and it's kind of turned her into something else.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's interesting that you touch on that because it was John, it was it was what he said to her, as you say, that that that, that broke her. And I think if, if you just take that back a step, the the scene where she's reacting in the in the was it the kitchen or the dining room to, you know, to her dad saving the day. In, in episode eight, which of course he did more harm than good, of course, going into that diner. Um, and whilst I think her reaction was over the top, throwing the, throwing the cup, I think she was absolutely right. You know, I still stand by that from episode eight, but it was, it was that reaction to that. And then, um, when, when John finds out that it, it was, that she's the reason Summer's facing this jail sentence, I thought what he said to her, I, I thought it was really, um, it was really satisfying to see john for for once it felt like actually stand up to her and tell her quite sort of definitively that you're way out of line and i don't accept that and i felt like because she gets away with with a lot and i really but her reaction to that and then going off to walker and you know can you play me a sad song um i always enjoy seeing walker on the guitar i think he's he's incredible um it was a change. And so when she went off to do what she was going to do, and then they had the, the this, this very, very, very quick wedding um, that did lead you thinking, as you say, what's going to happen at this point? And I actually was leaning more towards Jamie. I thought that she's doing all this because she's going to do something to Jamie that's going to push John out of her life. That was what I was expecting. So I was... Um, I was relieved to see Jamie um, survive, but of course the scene in the in the prison where the, the prisoner sort of says yes, it was Jamie, and then I'm like, is this guy telling the truth? We just still don't know.
0: Yeah, uh, look, uh, I think probably the Jamie storyline is almost probably the most tiring storyline for me at this point because we know that Jamie, like he's a bit of a. Like, you feel sorry for him, but he's also a bit of a a weaselly, kind of like snaky type character. And I am kind of glad that his dad's out of the picture now. Yes, Um, yes. And hopefully we can kind of, I don't know, just get onto a slightly different path. Because it was interesting, one thing that Samara said was, I think we need some new storylines that aren't just talking about the land all the time, but I think the story is about the land. Like this, this is the core of what this whole thing is about. So she wants to fight me. She can fight me all day, Paul, but, um, wow. Um, it's, yeah, I think it's, it, it was a interesting way to go, and I think it's interesting how I think you know Beth now has the the photo evidence of Jamie with a body, and how that's going to kind of hang over him. And I think she's going to be even worse for him in in the coming coming seasons. I think the character I actually felt um, the most for was actually Rip, and I think the fact that you know Beth was so quick to just kind of like pack her bags and go and have a um, have a cry with Walker. I thought, Walker, you're on thin ice, bro. Like, you know, like you don't want to be anywhere near this tornado. Um, And particularly when, like, you know, Carter's really fitting in. He's kind of really growing, I think. You know, John's almost taken Carter on as a bit of a a grandson and treating him like he was treating Tate. And I think that that's kind of interesting as well. Um, So it, it was sort of tough because I think Rip and Beth kind of bring out the best in each other when they're communicating and talking but when one of them is is going off grid watch out
1: so many great lines from from rip and john across these two episodes just when they're sort of expressing how they feel or like when john was talking to someone and i forget who it was he say there's talking about oh no it's talking to Carter about what's fair and john's like let me tell you what fair is and it's like before he even says it i'm like i'm really paying attention because whatever he's going to say i know is, is really going to make sense and you know the way he describes it as it's, it's it's when when one person gets what they want and the other person doesn't it's kind of it's hard to argue with his definitions the bunkhouse dan there was some scenes you touched on carter fitting in carter going into the bunkhouse and playing cards that was fantastic. Also, the bunkhouse when uh, Jimmy brings back his fiance, Those two scenes in the bunkhouse, probably um, alongside the whole Jimmy narrative, that was those were the scene stealers for me across the episode. I love that banter. I love that energy in there. I love that Lloyd's now. He seems to be back. Him and him and Rip clearly uh, are on great terms again. And I, I love that. That's. I was worried there was going to be a dark ending for Lloyd, and it hasn't happened because he's he's the greatest.
0: Yeah, no, I think that that was really good. And I think it was interesting, I think, particularly, I think that those sort of final scenes with Jimmy, right, because it was awesome that we got to see Jimmy come back from the four sixes and actually, you know, knows how to cowboy now, knows how to rope, yeah. kind of isn't the isn't the Jimmy that that left. And I think the fight between his ex-girlfriend and fiancé, incredible. So it's such a, another great moment. I am – not like, is this really the end of Jimmy
1: though? Like, that seems, yeah, I know. The, the the there was a big goodbye, right? You know, when he came out to the you know, it's, it's like in a uh, I, I don't know, I'm thinking of Star Trek, but I'm trying to think of something better. But when someone comes to leave and they think they're just going to walk out the door, but then the whole crew are stood there lined up, ready to give like a guard of honor. And and so, they because the, they took the time to do that and to stretch that out, I actually felt. Yeah, you know, whether it's Jefferson, the actor himself, wanting to be out of the show, or, or whether they're writing him out, I don't know. But I actually felt I—I th- I think it—it it could be, or if depending on how long the show is playing on running, could they bring him back in a, in a few years to come save the day in some dramatic season seven twist? I don't know, but um, that's my gut feel. Is I think he's he's gone, and I'm absolutely. This is right up there for me as like a like John. Dying in fear, The Walking Dead. This is Jimmy leaving the show. Is um, that's that's the the worst character for me to take away. Yeah,
0: no, I totally agree. I think in the other interesting, I guess turn of it, well, not not turn of events, but I think interesting relationship between uh, John Dutton and Summer, the mm. environmental terrorist. And I think what the show does a really good job of doing is kind of and it plays quite a sort of I think an educator role. And I think you know there's scenes like when they sort of talk about Summer as an environmental terrorist and all of the things that she's done, and they kind of tell it from a different angle. It's like, yeah, actually, you know, like these people, like you think you're just defending something, but actually you've done, you know, all of these things which, you know, according to the law, aren't right. And I think they do quite a good job of kind of making you think differently about sort of everyday things you might hear or see.
1: I See, I feel a little differently there because – I don't disagree with what you're saying about how, if when you look at it in the plain light of day and sort of see the facts, but, and I don't know much about law in the US, but I guess where I disagree is for the crimes that she has committed, life in prison, oh, yeah, that's, it's, that's, it's that's, that's, that's extraordinary. And then of course, John going to see the judge, never, you know, you, we always say, oh, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. The power of who you know can surely never be more powerful than when you know a judge. Because uh, without John, she's, Definitely going to be doing life, and there uh, it looks like part of season five. If we, if indeed we do get a season five, I presume we do, uh, will be the the jury trial.
0: I'll tell you what I was worried about with that whole kind of like John using his favour to talk to the judge. Is I thought that Beth was going to get herself in some type of legal trouble, and he was going to burn his favour on Summer and not be able to help Beth.
1: I wouldn't have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she needs to come to uh, some not 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 a death, but some sort of grisly end. She needs to. She, she's even when she walked out of the the job you know when she got fired and she just w- walks past the guy i've forgotten his name and she's like oh you've been as boring as i'd expect you to be it doesn't matter who you are you're going to get cut down in yeah in the, in the wrath of the tornado um the judge I, I i thought he was really really good in terms of an actor i thought he really was believable and when he sat back and he just sort of said ah oh. I just don't know what world we're living behind for our kids there was some real there were some real truths in there that um that that just really came home it was this, this these were the things that made this episode for me really really good without it necessarily having to be that dramatic finale that we often expect.
0: I think too the the one other character I, I think would be worth talking about before we we wrap this one up is like Casey had quite a oh yeah a low a low key role in the end of the season. I kind of felt like it, well, he was kind of put on the bench, and obviously we had you know him dealing with a lot of his demons and he's got a lot of trauma and he's been involved in, in lots of situations. But um, it was it kind of felt weird to me to have him kind of not being a protagonist in this whole whole story.
1: Yeah, it's you're right because he is um like in terms of credits he's like second billing, you know, after Costner. He's he he's like one of the the and yeah, he's I don't know if it's because we've had so much story about him previously, but I feel like he needs a big arc to now go on. I feel like I I enjoyed the story. I love seeing uh, him with 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 Moses and with with rainwater and I but um there wasn't quite enough there. Maybe that's where it was lacking—the punch. And I feel like him, and I always forget the name of his partner. They, they need to come either they okay. need to come back, yeah, Monica, come back to the ranch, or or that there needs to be something there. It was kind of like how a few episodes ago I sort of said, "Oh, you know, it's fine that Jimmy's down in Texas, but where is it going? What does it mean?" And now we know. And I felt it was a really powerful ending. But with Casey, I feel like yeah, benching him is it really makes. I think you have summed it up nicely.
0: Mm-mm. so look, I overall really enjoyed the season ended differently than how obviously season 3 like in sort of different highs and lows Um, but overall still one of my favourite TV shows
1: oh 100% and you know it's it's just got me more and more excited for where the story's going to go next because it's interesting Your uh, the comments Samara made I feel like I feel like she's right I feel like there does need to be something more than the land but I do feel like I'm anticipating that will be the driving force behind the story with you know with the airport and all the rest of it and John going for, is it governor or just attorney? I forget, whichever the governor. governor, governor.
0: Yeah. yeah, well, I think that's the thing, right, because I think it's always going to be about the land, but I think it's almost like different enemies because I think just always having that sort of somebody who's trying to get it. And because I think we, one thing we haven't really played out in this season is the fact that Jamie leased the land to the airport. Surely, still impacts John's promise not to sell the land, and yeah. so it's it's interesting, isn't it?
1: Very interesting. Very interesting.
0: Oh well, that's uh, Yellowstone. You can still watch all four seasons on Neon here in New Zealand. Shall we jump on over to another new TV show that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet? Um, the Book of Boba Fett.
1: Indeed. So this is one we've been looking forward to, literally. Now, for just over a year after we were given the teaser at the end of the season three of The Mandalorian, the legendary bounty hunter Boba Fett navigating the underworld of the galaxy uh, with uh, with mercenary Fedek Shand uh, returning to the sands of Tatooine to state their claim on the territory formerly ruled by the deceased crime lord Jabba the Hut. Uh, we have two episodes out so far. This one comes out on a Wednesday, which feels weird. I'm used to it being like a Friday thing, but hey, it's, it's a Wednesday thing. So we've had two episodes so far. Then I'm going to give the talking stick to you on this first.
0: You know, I was I avoided all trailers on the show. Ball. I was like, I don't need yes. to see the trailers. I love the Star Wars universe. I'm pretty committed to it, and. I've been having a great time. I liked the season, sorry, episode two almost more than I liked episode one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I enjoyed them both, and I think what I'm enjoying with this TV show is I'm enjoying um, getting a bit more of the the backstory and how things came to be. And I think, for example, like you know how Boba Fett got his gaffy stick and how, how they how they're made. I'm loving the the Sand People, the the Tuscan Raiders. I'll tell you one thing, there's one thing I'm not sure about in this TV show, and I think Boba Fett in the Star Wars universe to date, apart from The Mandalorian, has been this amazing character. Who we know nothing about, and that's what's made him so awesome. And then when we saw him in the Mandalorian, he came in hot. He came in hot and heavy. He destroyed some stormtroopers, um, but he wasn't sort of the the key point of a, of attention. And that that was great too. And I've got to admit, in that first episode, I was kind of like, "Oh, is Boba Fett a character who we want as a main as the main character to kind of focus on?" But I think what they're I say that with a grain of salt because I know like overall I think this is great but I'm I'm I've got just as much interest in Phoenix Shand. I love some of these other characters that they're in- introducing. I love that we've got some more hats. I love that we've got some of the characters from the the comics like um Black Crescent and the the Wookiee bounty hunter like there's so much I'm interested in this universe that it doesn't really matter to me that like, I don't need it to be fully about Boba Fett. I, I just, I love being back on Tatooine. And I love being on Mos Eisley. I love trying to sort of understand the, the lore of the heart. So I'm, I'm having a great time. It's a bit like Yellowstone. Like, I want more of it to watch
1: Yeah.
0: all at once. And it's hard just getting, like, here's your 40 minutes or your 50 minutes and um, see you next week.
1: Yeah, look at the the, the, the amount we're getting is so, so little. And, yeah, you know, why does this have to be a miniseries? You know, this isn't season one. This is, a, it's like, I feel like I'm definitely going to want more than eight episodes, but I guess the fact that they're going to keep it as just eight episodes is what's going to keep it feeling, sorry, seven episodes. Ah, oh, I mean, I guess that's what's going to make it, keep it feeling special. And I guess they'll do the same thing with the with the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. But um, the other thing about it being, just seven episodes is that it means that there's there's just no room for filler and so every every episode every story be it in the in the present or his past is going to have some meaning and and a purpose so that's i mean I, I don't think we really we've talked about this before we don't think we've really had too much filler with like mandalorian but the two biggest things for me watching this firstly i i love that they are splitting the the A B story of of an episode as it were between his present and his past and I, and I think we should probably talk about both but I love that they've got the back to tank as like the mechanism to split between the two um I've I've really enjoyed that and I think the past even more than the present perhaps but um and but secondly the the other thing I love is for me the and I don't think I'm alone in this because I've talked to people and there's this undeniable duality that exists between the journey uh, and what Boba is fighting for at this stage in his life. And and the reality, the the, the history of, of, of Maori people and, and the, the colonization that occurred here in New Zealand in terms of what's happening with these Tuscan Raiders, these Sam people that he's with. Uh, and of course, you know they were introduced to us as, as villains. And as a kid, for me, they were just the bad guy that was taking Luke's stuff out of his speeder. But now we're seeing them they're being positioned as the as the um the, the the planet's indigenous population who are watching their their native land and homes you know and resources be appropriated by others not of this land and I love the fact that as 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 Tim being a New Zealand Maori, I feel like there's so much of what he does in the role of boba that's that ties back to that. And I wonder for anyone outside of New Zealand watching this, who doesn't know too much about it, how much of that comes through.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. eh? I, I would imagine there's a little bit of influence there. And I think one thing that's kind of, uh, an interesting, I think is, you know, the AB story is, is, is really, is really fascinating because I think, you know, like how in episode to boba negotiates that the the tuscan raiders will also always get um uh a payment for anyone wanting to cross the cross the the dune sea and you know we we saw that in the mandalorian and i I love it that they're kind of like connecting these universes right because when um uh the mandalorian and the guy that he was with and they they are crossing the desert he gives them the the binocs to to, to kind of cross it. it, it's cool that that's all connected and we're seeing how this plays out. And I think, you know, everything that I say about this show, I say really tentatively because, you know, John Favreau, like, he knows what he's doing. Mm. You know, like, we, we don't need to worry. Like, it's going to be a great package, whatever this turns into. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of this. I'll tell you one thing I've been thinking about with this show as we've been watching it is what is the trailer that we are going to get at the end of the credits on that final episode are we going to get a Mandalorian are we going to get in season 3 are we going to get an Obi-Wan show are we going to get like what's going to be the tease that we get I'm so hyped up
1: I don't well that's a really interesting question I haven't thought about that at all I, my gut instinct is, is they wouldn't they wouldn't go with like an Obi-Wan because I felt like the book of Boba Fett trailer at the end of Mandalorian yeah worked and felt right because it was it was set at that time and it fell into the law of, of where the mandalorian was at that point it was whereas if we were to do the everyone thing that would be jumping back and then it would just literally be a trailer tacked on so i'm more inclined to think that you might be right with your first guess of the mandalorian or and now i'm really racking my brains thinking i mean it could be the ahsoka trailer which would fit in with where we're at time wise
0: could be Andor, you know it could be um there's so many options
1: yeah, I, I'm going to stick with Mandalorian or, or Ahsoka, something that fits in with the time of where this mm. series is is set. The um, I think you're right. The other thing for me that, that I love, and I've been questioning whether younger audience, p- people who weren't there in 83 when you and I were reading and collecting the stickers and wondering, is Boba Fett dead? He, he's in the bottom of the Salak this was before the special edition salad with the um the, like the worm thing coming out of it of course it was just mm-hmm. the pit I love the time they are taking with this show the fact that they are prepared to um, at length show how Boba is returning to to normality through becoming a part of this this tribe and finding his ways and all the time they spent carving out his what do you call it the all the, oh, the yeah, yeah. And I just, I don't think there's many shows that could afford to do that. And I, as as long term fans, I'm soaking it all in. And I'm wondering for a younger audience if they care as much. Because because what you said before, it, read, it sort of resonated with me. I, you know, I love Star Wars, but I was never a massive fan of Boba Fett. N- neither was I of the Mandalorian lore that came out of it. But now I'm just. I'm just loving the amount of time that they're prepared to spend to, to tell the story. I feel like what I know, what I think about the the, the Sam people, the Tuscan Raiders, is just completely blown out of the water. I read a book that gave me that experience, but this is, of course, so much different seeing it on screen. And and yeah, I am just pleased that we have a and New Zealand Maori as the lead on the world stage. I think my investment in this series is 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 doubled by the fact that it's Tem. I, I will say right now, it is not It's not The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian is something a step up for me, but this is very special in its own right.
0: Yeah, look, I, I think it's a, it is a fascinating show, and I think you kind of have to make the decision, right? Like, do you like Boba Fett, for example, as, the, as a, a silent character where you kind of – because that's the thing, right? Like, we've grown up for the last – 35 40 years (laughs) i think like you know with our own stories about who boba fett is right like and like you you know you've always been kind of sort of make up your own mind like did he survive the salek pit like um he was like how badass was he because we haven't known a lot about him apart from you know seeing a a young boba in the the clone animated clone wars and i think now there's always sort of that fine line, right? Like, whereas now we're actually, we're giving a a character that's kind of got this amazing legacy and this amazing history that's kind of unspoken and unknown, and now you're putting a face to it. And it's it's both great and kind of challenges maybe the, the view that you might have had or the story that you had for Boba Fett in your mind.
1: Yeah, no, I, I hear everything you're saying, and I... I know what you mean. I think I, I think we talked about this once before, like with the whole Medichlorian. It's like, oh, now I know what the Force is. It's kind of like, did I prefer it when I didn't? And I, I know what you mean. I, I I just feel like for me, the the character finding finding out more. I feel like it, it's. It's a real learning experience and I'm and I'm appreciating it. I'm really loving the way we're getting to see things through the eyes of him as a kid. I'm not sure how they're doing some of those scenes because those scenes were not in all of them. Some of them were, but not all of them were in Attack of the Clones. So how we're getting... They must be using some very clever CGI. They're, they're really done well. I am blown away and so delighted that we got to see him in the Sarlacc because that's, of course, what happened. How did he get out? All of that is that is fanboy service if you if you like um but i just really really appreciated that but uh i am curious what the direction of the remaining five episodes will what will the driving force because him sitting on a on a throne all day isn't going to work and he's already said that you know he's, he's not interested in that he's going he's going to be carried around um seeing jabber's cousins was it um that was great but uh is, are we just going to get more of that and just nice bits because i think we do need a driving force and at the moment i can see what the driving force is in the past i have no problem with the past i think that story is writing itself and it's beautiful it's the story in the present where i'm perhaps thinking oh what are, what are we getting here where is it leading and how of course will it end if it's just seven episodes
0: well and i think you know even if this is just seven episodes you know you could still see a lot of these characters crossing back into the Mandalorian and and. and- you know, current, you know, season three, season four, et True. Um, I think you're right, though. I think Boba Fett isn't made to be sitting on a throne and collecting rent from various people. So I, I think there, this this is probably, you know, maybe more about settling some old debts um, and kind of wrapping things up on, on Tatooine before potentially moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it is interesting, isn't it, because – there's there's just so many characters there and there's so many big energy characters and and even seeing like two more hats is like oh god like there's there's a a lot going on yeah um and it's i'll tell you tatooine does not look like a safe place to live at all (laughs) everything's trying to kill you
1: you can't you can't there's no sunbathing going on because if you sit down for too long something's going to come out and uh yeah that was interesting the train was extraordinary that whole you know the whole train that runs through tatooine that was unexpected and that was Mm. um but uh, now the, the more I think about it, the the Boba Fett that I'm, and I, again, I, I am biased by the fact it, it's Tim, but uh, the, when I think about Boba Fett in the past, you know, he was the guy who took Han, you know, and, and did all these things that a lot of people thought he was cool. I actually didn't really like him because of course he was, he was against our, you know, he was against Luke Leia and Han. And so seeing him now and the way he, his values, you know, he's not interested in being the gangster. You know, it's the um, Jabba ruled with fear, I intend to rule with respect. You know that kind of that. That's the but that's not something I have expected to hear from mm-hmm. Boba Fett, and so I'm liking him as a character. And as I say, as I say that's influenced by the actor. But uh, I think I'm now just as you were saying. You know, you're worried about people in Yellowstone getting. Rid- I'm worried about where where might they end. This might they give us an ultimate death with Boba at the end of this this seventh episode
0: no way he, he's too much of a main character he like he's so popular on so many different levels I just I, I couldn't see that happening but I, I what I do want is I want I want more time with Phoenix Shand like I think yeah. that yeah. character
1: amazing yeah she she's real good and of course a real sharp shooter. that's how she was introduced to us and both of them together have a good rapport she she is very interesting and I think she's going to play a crucial role Um, there's there's five more to go but from these two solid pilot start, and that second episode really built on things for me and I came into the Mandalorian nervous thinking oh I don't know much about Mandalore am am I that interested I came in similarly with Boba Fett and I feel I feel very happy with where we're at at the moment that's good I
0: think what I think I've kind of learnt from these Star Wars journeys is you've just got to go with it like it's almost like the more you overthink it the more you kind of either are setting yourself up for failure or to be let down or it's almost just like just go with the journey and have a good time with it and i think there's so much good star wars out there even if it doesn't land the way you want it to there's going to be something else there will but i i think i'm with you this is this is going in a good direction for me
1: and of course there's no dave Filoni. and of course i've trusted in dave as you had you know through the through the clone wars through rebels and this is this is John Favreau, and we've had Robert Rodriguez directing and, and Dave Filoni's not in the he's not in the he's not in the scene at all. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I've underestimated um John Favreau. And I, I don't mean this in, in Mandalorian, I mean before he came into Star Wars. For me, he was an actor who did uh what am I gonna say here? Adam Sandler type comedies, and I didn't know much more about him, and he has a brain He is a very smart guy and he writes supremely
0: couldn't agree more He and he's buying a lot of the Marvel stuff as well yeah. so it's like we're in safe hands
1: and I saw he was in the cast for No Way Home as well indeed indeed Um Aunt May's
0: uh, boyfriend there you
1: go
0: alright so we'll be back no doubt talking about more Book of Boba Fett which you can watch on Disney Plus at the moment um which comes out on Wednesdays shall we jump on over to our movie of the week
1: Indeed. So every week, except when we do specials, uh, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie and then watch and review it the following week. We post that movie in our Discord community so you can watch along with us. And this week, Dan, we are back. And what have we got? This week, Paul, we are watching the
0: 2020 movie The Courier. This is about a Cold War spy Greville Wynn and his Russian source try to put an end to the Cuban Missile Crisis. This um, is a, a movie starring Benedict Cumberpatch, who has also been in another movie we recently just watched, The Power of the Dog. So great to see him back on our, our movie watch list so soon. 100%.
1: Yeah. Uh, what an extraordinary actor he is as well because, yeah, you know, we talked about the power of the dog and that incredible performance. You just saw him in, as as Doctor Strange, No Way Home. Um, he brought back the villain of Khan in Star Trek, uh, Imitation Game, uh, Sherlock. Sherlock Holmes. I mean, he we we should do a peak performance on this guy because this is a because this is a movie that I don't know about you, but for me, I until I saw when I was scrolling through Neon looking for oh, what should we watch. I hadn't heard of this movie, and yet I've come away with this movie going, this is one of his best movies ever, and that's saying something for this guy. I thought he was absolutely superb in in the role of, um, of, of Greville Wynn.
0: Yeah, look, I think, so the basic premise of this film is, so um, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis is kind of, of happening, um, the Americans and MI6 are basically looking to find someone who's not in the any way sort of associated with military intelligence who can sort of who already travels, um, around Europe, who they can potentially go and start some business in Moscow and then sort of start trading some information. And I think you're right, Paul, like he does a fantastic job of playing like obviously he's already he's already English, but I think a fantastic job of like he's obviously he's the key actor in this this movie. He does a fantastic job of sort of taking you on this different journey of kind of like he's he's you know uh he's a businessman he's not really wanting to get involved in any sort of international sort of politics he's not that interested in sort of putting his life at risk particularly anything to do with russia um and i just think you kind of go on this quite fun like and relatively sort of short journey with this this character as he kind of turns into you know the the hero in his own story and it's it's a it's a great watch
1: it is, and can I just say I appreciate you giving the listeners the synopsis of this movie as opposed to me just jumping in and saying how great Bennett is, because um, the Courier should not be confused with the 2019 movie starring Gary Oldman or the 2020 12 movie starring Jeffrey Dean Morgan, also called the Courier. This is this is the Courier we're talking about. So I appreciate you doing that. Um, he he does play that part so well. It's um, I th- I thought um, I, w- I thought the movie. Was paced really well so um you know like the uh, the secret service they approach him and sort of say we want you to do this thing and within five minutes of that he pretty much arrives in moscow with a, a big jacket on so they didn't drag that out and they covered a fair bit of of ground and yeah i i mean i don't know if i've watched too many bond films recently but it gave me a lot of Bond vibes as well but of course the tension here is as you said he's he's a businessman he's a salesman being asked to do this job he's not a a trained commander the elite of the elite um, and so that that sort of anxiety plays out really well and he his relationship with his his wife and the the, the, the Russian um, sourced um, I thought he handled all of those things so well and then just jumping to the prison scene then the weight loss talk about method like that's like robert de niro christian bell i actually looked it up he he'd lost over 20 pounds so like 10 kg it's incredible
0: yeah look, they're, they're all fantastic scenes i'll tell you one of my my favorite scenes in this which was a little bit of fun is when he gets home from work and his he just sits down in his his chair. It's the sixties, so he just you know walks in dinner dinner on dinner already, and the phone rings. His wife answers it, and she's like, "And it's for you." And he's like, "I'm in my chair. I've already sat down. Like it's."
1: I I want that. I will, I want to find it. It's like, if I'm in my chair, that's it. I've made it. It's like, it's like in a board game. You've got to a certain point and no one can touch yeah. you now. It's like, I'm, I'm already in my chair. Yeah, no one can get to me. Um, yeah. yeah. There's nothing worse than the sound of the doorbell or the phone ringing at that point when yeah. you're in the chair and you've pressed play on Yellowstone.
0: We, um, we often talk about uh, on the podcast, Paul, movies to watch with your parents. And I actually think this would be one of the, those good ones, right? Oh, because, yeah, definitely. You know, like you talked about, like the, the pace is there, the storytelling is good. It's actually an interesting story. You're actually, you know, you're learning about um, a natural historical event, which I think, you know, like you say, hasn't been widely publicized as a, an, a new movie coming out. It's kind of just sort of gone under the radar a little bit but i I think it's it's definitely one to check
1: out yeah there's been a few like this which have been real life stories that have sort of um you know sort of just snuck up and surprised us and of course having at the end um the actual greville win the footage of him after he was you know sort of safe i I always love seeing that sort of thing and we've talked before about the power of a true story um shout out also to um rachel brosnan who I haven't seen since House of Cards. And I thought she was she was really good as the intelligence contact as well. And I felt that everyone in their place in this movie was absolutely um spot on. Dominic Cook uh, as the director, I thought was absolutely, you know, fantastic as well. I've I've never seen any of his work before. I thought everything was was this this was much better than I thought it might be.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I kind of came into this a little bit like that'll probably be okay but i walked away having had a, a really great time and recommended one to watch
1: and of course you know benedict Cumberbatch has done he's done a few intelligence movies you know he did tinker taylor soldier spy then he he did the uh, the uh imitation game and i like both those movies and I, I i would put this one right up with those with those two um so so yeah i would this gets a definite recommendation from me um I would. I'm going to go three guns for me for this one.
0: Yeah, I'd go. I'd go three guns. It's a solid three guns. Yeah. Um. It's a movie like you probably don't need to watch again after you've seen it, but you'll you'll have a great time uh, in the
1: process. So, Dan, if the New Zealand Security Intelligence Service approached you, and actually, let's say let's say the CIA or MI6, as it just sounds way more exciting? And they, you know, they ask you to take to, to carry on a mission and, and to to take something across the border to a place, you know, would you accept the dismission, you know, knowing that you couldn't tell your fiancé anything about it as well? Would you, would you be up for that sort of thing if someone approached you?
0: Look, I think, uh, you know, for, in, in the context of this movie, it's for love and country, you know. It's, That's it. it, it it's got to be done. And I think, look, if MI6 approached me, I'd definitely be interested. How cool would that be?
1: I, I'd do it, but there's no way I'd keep it a secret. I would literally blurt it out as soon as I got home with excitement to die. And I'd be like, yeah. oh, I'm not yeah. going to be like James Bond. I would be the worst. I would be really, I would be like Mr. Bean in the role. That's what I would be like. It'd be horrific.
0: You literally, you're, you've you been given your first assignment. You tune up in a tuxedo. <laughs> you've, you've got. <laughs> Fully. It's just like a day meeting. Uh, all right. I'll take us on over to the news desk game. Indeed. Let's go. All right, so we've, we've had a couple of passings actually, um, which is always sad to start with a new test. So, obviously, we had Betty White just at the end of um, 2021, which was a, a sad time, so close to 100. And just recently, we've had also Bob Sackett, who's passed away, um, who you may remember being the star of Full House.
1: Really sad. It always seems to happen so close to the start of a new year. I always feel like that's something that happens every year. It's awful. It's it's not good. It's not good.
0: Uh, On to more positive things. So the Cobra Kai creators have plans for at least six seasons of this show. I like that. At least six Praise seasons. Being. I love that. Blessed be the fruit. That's that's good news. Uh, I see there's also a little bit of news around a new Battlestar Galactica movie, which is being created in a shared universe with a also a reboot of the Battlestar Galactica TV show. Did you know about this, Paul?
1: Dan, I love it when you bring me news that I don't know about, so that you get a live reaction out of me. Because I, I am, I felt the hairs on the back of my neck just at the mention of Battlestar. But are you saying tying into the TV series, the existing series?
0: No. So they, so they're reboot. So they're oh, rebooting the a new series. Oh my well, goodness. It's, actually, let's use the word rebooting lightly. They are making a new Battlestar Galactica TV series, and they are making a movie that will tie into the same universe. Oh. So. Yeah, it's not necessarily the same characters, but there's more stories they want to tell in that universe, which I think is you and I are both huge Bed-O-Star fans, oh, and I think that's, massive. that's very exciting. This,
1: this, that is that is top ten of all time for me. That's how good it is.
0: Um, so we've talked quite a bit about Spider-Man: No Way Home uh, in this um, podcast, and so the director of of that. Um, series of Star Wars movies is actually going to produce the final destination reboot. So oh. I don't know if you're ever a fan of those movies. Um, They're a bit of fun, I, I sort of feel like they were like uh, late nineties, early two thousands. They were kind of like great, sort of like fun horror movies. But uh, yeah, a, a reboot is in store. And then final bit of news. I just wanted to run through a couple of the the Golden Globes twenty twenty two winners. I'm not going to go through through all, all categories to say it's already quite a long podcast, but we're really we're really going for it yeah, today. So best motion picture drama, Power of the Dog. We reviewed it here on the pod. Best TV series drama, Succession. Um, best director for a motion picture, Jane Campion, The Power of the Dog. Uh, what else have we got here? Um best motion picture, musical or comedy, West Side Story. Uh, anything else of interest here? Best uh best actor in a motion picture, Will Smith for King Richard. Haven't seen that one yet. Um Best Original Score, Motion Picture, Hans Zimmer for Dune. I'd definitely give that a, a shout out. That's a fantastic um score. Best original song for a motion picture. No time to die, Paul. Best original song for a motion picture, great times. Um, we've also got best actor in a motion picture, musical or comedy. We've got Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom. I'm not going to go through the the wider list. It's it's kind of a, it's a it's you know goes goes on for years. But um, go and check out who those winners are. Always a, a great source for movies um, and TV shows to both keep an eye out for.
1: What I, what I love about the ones you did read out is I had noted down two specific names that I wanted to mention. I thought, oh, Dan's going to cover this off now. And I nearly deleted it off of my notes. Um, Michael Keaton, best actor in a drama series for Dope Sick. um, and, and Jane Campion for Power of the Dog, which you, you, did, you did mention. Michael Keaton, also news, is back as Batman for the Batgirl movie. So he's not just coming back for Flash, he's coming for the Batgirl movie as well. I feel like there's so much Keaton going on right now and I, for one, think that that is absolutely great news. Uh, that was the only other thing I that I had was, yeah, the Golden Globe stuff and the fact that Ricky Gervais's, um season three of Afterlife is out just a few hours after this podcast goes live uh, on Friday the 14th. So you and I have watched both seasons Season two, we, I think we did like half an episode dedicated to it because it was just that good. I can't wait to talk about Afterlife season three with you, Dan.
0: It's going to be awesome. And, you know, we were hoping for our season three because, you know, often yeah. there's only two seasons of the Ricky Gervais um, TV shows. So I imagine get your, um, get your tissues ready for uh, another sad, sad time with Afterlife.
1: For sure. For sure. And really, as you say, it's going to be really interesting to see how a third season goes because, uh, he he has, as you said, always been about the two seasons. That's all I have, Dan. Um, we do have a a few things here in the mailbag because um, we haven't done a mailbag for the last two podcast specials. So I'm going to talk quick because uh, there are some things I do want to um, you know do want to to mention. So a couple of comments that go back to uh, a couple of episodes ago on our Alien quadrilogy review um we had a geek girl review from australia um she doesn't agree with our thoughts on alien 3 she thinks it's the best movie of the four which is interesting because i remember coming out the cinema uh, from alien 3 i was, I was a lot younger in 92 but i just remember thinking oh this is incredible i remember having such a good vibe but um on reflection i don't feel that now um paddy from king to kerry ireland uh, he also has a spot a soft spot sorry uh, for number three because he says who doesn't love a load of cockneys playing chase with an alien um that's fair enough uh megan from auckland asked um uh, if we're not going to include alien versus predator um do we have to include alien resurrection um which she referred to as a pile of garbage and i think the i think the answer is yes we do have to because it's 100% canon but yeah as we said in the podcast um it is definitely the weakest of the of the four um and then last week then we had our top 10 tv shows of 2021 podcast and we had a few people get involved here we had um sir bruce gray uh, from scotland he gave us his his top 10 in no particular order succession ted lasso only murders in the building hawkeye manhunt star trek lower decks the outlaws the flight attendant unforgotten and the nevers Uh, i'm looking at that list i'm definitely most keen to see unforgotten season four which is coming to new zealand i'm a big fan of the first three seasons um so thanks for that list of 10 there bruce um there's a couple in there that we definitely agree with made our lists um uh, scott ryan the actor who plays uh mr in between uh ray schmoose shoesmith uh he liked our um our review and, and inclusion in the top 10 which was great mercedes mason who plays ophelia in fear the walking dead she shared our review of mayor of east town uh, a series that she has no affiliation with whatsoever and i thought that was pretty impressive to get someone who's not even in it uh sharing it uh, as too did the actor cameron mann who played ryan ross in the series and we also had the director of mary Stone share our review on twitter as well so i thought that was that was pretty cool uh also detective pierce from hollywood homicide in Bosch, um dalwan johnson he shared a um, top 10 review for Bosch. uh we had all three actresses all the three lead actresses from um creamery uh polina ali shu and jj fong as well as tandy wright and the production company all share a view across social media and we had the director uh, roseanne liang she messaged us to say uh, she is and i quote uh, a huge fan of rose metafeo and starstruck so it is an honor to be in the same list and wow number six even more chuffed so that was pretty cool um big fan of roseanne liang's stuff we actually had a couple more recommendations come our way, Dan. Uh, always wanting to challenge our top 10. Sarah from Wellington, uh, she gave us The Silent Sea, which is a Korean sci-fi drama um, uh, about a, a, a mission on the moon where these explorers try to retrieve samples from an abandoned research facility that's full of classified secrets. It also stars um, Hugh tae and Gong Yoo, uh, both from Squid Game. And it's the first ever space sci-fi TV series to be made in Korea, apparently. So that's on Netflix. And then the second one we had to challenge our top 10 was from Janelle from Lower Hut. Uh, with a recommendation um, for something that I think is right up my street called Belgravia, uh, which is set in London in the 1840s. And it's a story of secrets and dishonor amongst the upper class. And it, um, it's from uh, Julian Fellows, uh, the writer and creator of Danton Abbey. So that's on TVNZ On Demand here in New Zealand. So couple to check out there. And finally, uh, our last peak performance feature we did was Amy Adams' Uh, And so we had Nat from Wellington. He agreed with my choice of Arrival, adding not only is it his peak performance for Amy Adams, but also his favorite film in the last decade. That's a massive call if someone was to say, what's your favorite film in the last decade? So that's a big endorsement for Arrival. Uh, Geek Girl review in Aussie. She disagreed with Alien 3, but she certainly agreed with Arrival. That was her pick for Amy Adams. Uh, Michael from North Carolina, USA, also went with Arrival and the TV show Sharp Objects, uh, which he says uh, is just the best. And I've never heard of it. So I've added that to my list to check out. And we had finally Norman from Roddenberry.com. He went with Enchanted and Paddy from Time Traveling Team. Is 321 travel with the curve opposite Clint Eastwood? American Hustle and the fighter was his number one. And that's our extended mailbag this week.
0: Great choices as always. <clears throat> All right, must be time for our peak performance.
1: Yep, every week Dan and I take it in turns, so like we do with movie of the week. We choose someone and focus in on their career and look back and say what we think was their best performance best direction best production this week we've gone with sandra bullock
0: Alright, so for me this week, for my honourable mention, I'm actually going to go with uh, Sandra Bullock's 2013 movie Gravity. So this, you know, this was a bit of a a surprise hit for me. I wasn't sure I was going to enjoy this movie, but I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think, you know, we often talk about on the pod how hard you have to work as as an actor or actress when you're kind of you know, you're in a confined space. You're often, you, you know, the the main character or the only character in a lot of the scenes. And I thought this was a, a great movie. Um, and so that gets my honourable mention. But I can't go past Paul. My peak performance, Sandra Bullock, 1994 at speed. This is a fantastic movie. Don't let that bus drop on the 50. You know, at first, I sort of maybe, you know, a younger Daniel Whiting might have found Sandra Bullock a little bit annoying in this film. But I think, you know, watching it in later years, like that's a lot of pressure, you know. You've never driven a bus before. You've got to keep it above 50. You've got other people's lives at stake. You know, there's a, there's a lot going on there. So this is definitely my number one speed from 1994. How about
1: yourself? Firstly, can I say... I think it would be hard to keep it from going under 50 because I like to drive along with my cruise control on and it's amazing how many times you have to sort of break to stretch, you know, to actually, to keep it going over 50. I think that would be quite a challenge. I'd like to, I'd like to see how we could do in that situation. It's interesting, Dan, because I often like to be out of sync with you from a listener point of view to make it interesting so we've got different things. But, I am in sync with you for the honourable mention. I also have 2013's uh, Gravity, and I agree with everything you say about acting Where by yourself. I think that is a huge challenge, and in the vacuum of space even more so. Um, so she's yeah, she's brilliant in this. She, I mean, she outshines, you know, George Clooney is always fantastic. I think he's great in this as well, but she, she, she rocks this, and um, such a great ending to this movie, and her reaction and the, the emotional... Uh, uh, what she puts into it is is sensational i think she really she really owns it she really rocks it my peak performance though is a 2009 movie and that is the blind side um and that's the movie where she where she cares for a homeless boy and then helps him become a american football player and it's such an emotionally charged movie and she's so strong in that role this is she. It amazes me how often I agree with the academy because I've always thought the academy give awards out wrong but this is another one where I say she definitely deserved that oscar for it and for me I because this was your suggestion this week and I knew the moment you suggested Sandra Bullock I knew that was going to be my first choice and it was just a fight to see who got the honorable mention because yeah if anyone's listening to this and they haven't watched it because they don't uh, they don't like NFL or they don't like sports movies. My advice is go watch it because this is this is not about the sport. It's a real life journey movie, and and she plays such a unforgettable role in this movie. So, Gravity and The Blind Side are my picks.
0: Great choices, Paul. Well, that probably brings us to the end of uh, episode ninety nine of the Half Minutes Podcast. It's been a long one, but it's been a great
1: one. Ninety nine. That that is when I think of ninety nine, I think of the ice cream or well, Agent ninety nine. It's uh, get smart. Yeah, yeah. But right now, mm. uh, vanilla ninety nine flake ice cream is what I want. Just to end on Indeed. that note.
0: Indeed. <laughs> well, a special thanks to our Patreon producers of the show: Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tevner. We couldn't put the show on without your support. If you too would like to become a Patreon, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.